You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. You will need a hand in Jeremiah 17 and then another one in Matthew 5 this morning. We'll be first in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, and then we'll uh, eventually end up in Matthew 5, 6, and kind of bounce back and forth between those verses. If you're new here, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Citizens, and if you're visiting us, we're, we're uh, honored to host you this morning. I'm grateful that you chose to worship with us. If you're watching online, maybe this is your first time to watch our service, or maybe you are uh, doing this uh, again and have been doing it for some time. Uh, we love you. We're so glad that you're, you're joining us. Uh, This is week three of a five-week series called Belonging, and this series is about uh, our church. It's it's different than than other series that we've done here. Uh, There's a lot of the conversation that we're having that's very uh, practical. In some ways, it's a family conversation. There's things that are most relevant to you if you've been here for some time, but if you're uh, joining us, if you're new, it's also a perfect time because you'll get a, a, a hopefully a really clear uh, idea of who we are and, and who we want to be as a church and what it means to belong here. There's two things that mark this series for us. Um, the first is we are asking all of our members to renew their uh, membership. Um, we've taken time over the last few weeks, especially the first week, uh, to really share our heart behind that, the reason why we're asking our members to renew. That's not something that we uh, plan to do every year, but it is something that feels uh, needed and necessary right now in the life of our church. And so uh, if, this, if you're a member and this is your first time hearing about uh, member renewal, would you go back especially to that first week and, and listen uh, just so that you can understand kind of the why and uh, what we're asking in that. Uh, many of you, many of you have renewed already. Thank you for doing that. Uh, if you're a member and you haven't renewed, you can do so by going to our website, citizenschurch.com going to the belonging page, and then at the bottom of the belonging page, you'll find a five-question member renewal. Um, If you're not a member, this is a season where we're really inviting a deeper belonging to the church. And so membership here is not to delineate between the ordinary people and the super special people or anything like that. Membership is just our way to formalize the commitment that we find in Scripture that should mark every Christian's life. Uh, their commitment to a local church. Our next membership class is October 10th, and we would love for you to sign up for that. You can register online if you're not a member and want to become a member. Also, in these five weeks, we're walking through our church's values. So there's five values that we have as a church. These are truths that, that, that we love. These are things that we hold on to. These are the things that we believe that as we uh, learn them together and grow in them together and hold on to them together, they will shape us. They will form us. And so here's what... what needs to be stated, uh, what, if you're new here, or, or even if you've missed this somehow, that, that I need you to know that we believe at Citizens the primary role of the local church is formation, um, to become something together, to be formed into the likeness of Jesus together. This is not a place where we come to check a spiritual box. This is not a place we come to feel better than people who are not here. This is not a place we come to try and hide what's really going on in our lives. This is not a place where we come to try and earn God's love. This is a place where we gather with the people of God, already loved, already accepted, already known, so that we might belong together and together become like Jesus. And we believe an important part of that is knowing and holding on to these shared values and shared loves that we have. And so you'll encounter them everywhere in our church. No matter what ministry that you're involved in, these hopefully are present and visible 
everywhere you come in our church. The first one is life in Christ. This is all about Jesus, life from Jesus and life with Jesus. The second one is the Word of God. It's knowing the true story of who God is and who we are that we talked about last week. And the third that will be in this week is people of presence, the active pursuit of God and others. Um, of all of our values, the language on this one is maybe the most abstract. Uh, there's intentionality behind that. It invites a question. What does it mean? A question that you could be asking, maybe should be asking, is what, what does it mean to be a person of presence? What, what does it mean that this church and belonging at this church means they're wanting to make me into a person of presence? Well, there's somewhat of an eclectic way to answer that. It means being a person who fights for intentional time with God. Uh, maybe a way to say it would be to think about spiritual practices like prayer and fasting and rest and the corporate practices like the Southern, uh, Sunday gathering and nights of worship and uh, corporate prayer and taking communion together, right? Being a person of presence means that those things are um, a staple in your life. They're a regular part of your life. So practically, on an individual level, it means orienting your days and time in your day and your week and your month around God. It's the trellis conversation we had from Matthew chapter 6. You build the spiritual trellis in your life upon which life grows. So what you will hear around here often at Citizens is you will hear the need that you have to, to, to build time with God into your day. And you can call it quiet time, you can call it spiritual disciplines, you can call it a rule of life, but what the press will be often, the encouragement will be often, is that you take significant parts of your life and you commit those to just time with God, participating in the age-old practices that we find in the Bible, right? You will also hear that we take this space very seriously. We believe our gatherings are important. The times when we gather together for prayer and worship are important because we are a people of presence who pursue God. It also means being a person who is serious about Christian community. Um, who knows we need to receive from others. There are things that, as Christians, you need from other Christians, things that I, as a Christian, I need from other Christians, right? It's honesty and love and encouragement and confrontation and accountability, right? It means I offer those things to people in my life. There is a group of people in my life. Being a person of presence means there's a group of people in your life that you embody and practice the one and others of Scripture with, right? And, and, and you're present with people in that way. My relationship with God is personal, but it's not private, so I need Christian community. And as a person of presence, I, I pursue that. So practically that means being a part of one of our groups, being a part of home groups, being part of a recovery group, finding gospel community somewhere, right? What you'll hear around here often is a press for you to be in community with other Christians, not to just have friends, not to just be in any community, but be in the distinct Christian community that is marked by the presence of God. Look. Everyone wants to be in community until you have to pay the cost to be in community. Life is busy. People are messy. Community is costly. We all kind of like it as an idea, find it really, really hard to commit to in reality. It's worth it. And so we'll say over and again and push over and again that it's worth it, right? The, the biblical image that comes to mind when I think of this value for us, hang on to this. We're going to need this for where we're going. Uh, it's an image that just captures my heart. It holds so much of who I want to be. It's Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that, listen to this, that sends out its roots by the stream. 
and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Do you see it? It's a tree planted by water that does something. There's a verb in there. There's action on part of the tree in that. It's sending out its roots to the water. It's near the stream. It actively does the under the soil work of getting to the life that it needs. It sends out its roots. And so because of that, it always has what it needs. Even in drought, even in heat, it continues to produce good. It continues to bear fruit. That's people of presence. That's a picture. It's an image of what it means to be a people of presence. There's an active pursuit of God, an active pursuit of others. And what it, what it means is we plant our life in the reality of God's presence and in the reality of God's goodness, and we spend time with him. We don't do it alone. We do that together. And the result of that is that people benefit from the goodness of our life and the fruit that comes out of our lives. So there's this active sending out of the roots into the places that we believe that life can be found. Okay, okay. <laughs> Lots of places to go from here. We could dive into practices like prayer and disciplines. We could talk about community, the challenges with community, the importance of community, of, of pursuing others. There will be Sundays for that. The burden that I feel is to simply lay before you, church, two ways of living so that we do not miss why this matters. No one, no one is surprised to come to church and hear prayer is important. Community matters, right? No one. I'm a pastor, and I've spent eight minutes basically telling you that time with God and time in Christian community is important. Surprise. No, no one's surprised. That's common language. Those are common ideas. That's not rare at all. It's not rare. No one's surprised to hear that. And yet, what is rare is the life that actually does the work of sending roots to the water. That's rare. The life that doesn't fear the life whose leaves are green, there's fruit in drought, the life that flourishes regardless of circumstances, that's rare. That's hard to find. It's few and far between. That life feels far from me often, most of the time. So there seems to be, a, a, follow me, there seems to be a bit of a gap, right, between these things that we know are important that we're not surprised to hear and then the things that we actually in our life treat as important. Because for many of us, we want the life that flourishes, that just has this abiding relationship with God that comes out of our life. We want the life where the, the, the leaves are green, we're not afraid, but we don't send the roots to the water. We don't. We choose another way of living that leads to emptiness, that leads to withering. There is a life that sends roots, and then there is a life that searches for life in dry places. I want to lay those lives out. This ends in 20 minutes. Some of you are like, yeah, right. This ends in 20 minutes with me asking you to consider which of those two lives you're living. In 20 minutes, we'll ask that which, I want you to consider which of these lives are you living. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. Here was the title. Digital addictions are drowning us in dopamine. Here's the subheading. Rising rates of depression and anxiety in wealthy countries like the U.S. may be the result of our brains getting hooked on the neurotransmitter associated with pleasure. Just some light, happy reading. Uh, it was written by a psychiatrist, uh, a professor at Stanford University. 
And she begins with a story about a young man, a patient of, her who's, a patient of hers who's in her, his early 20s, and he came to her with severe depression, severe anxiety, and uh, he described his life and his problems. And she writes, you know, 20 years ago after hearing his story, I probably would have prescribed an antidepressant. But after asking questions of him, after hearing about how he spends his time, mostly hearing about the amount of time he spends in front of a screen, playing video games, on his phone, other kinds of screens, right? She recommended something different. She didn't recommend the antidepressant. She told her patient to do a dopamine fast, which meant abstaining from all screens for one month, doctor's orders. His problem was he couldn't handle all the dopamine he was experiencing from all the texts and games and all the screens in his life. She described what was happening to him on a neurological level. It's a long quote, but it's, it's worth reading. When we do something we enjoy, the brain releases a little bit of dopamine, and we feel good. As soon as dopamine is released, though, the brain adapts to it by reducing or down-regulating the number of dopamine receptors that are stimulated. This causes the brain to level out by tipping to the side of pain, which is why pleasure is usually followed by a feeling of hangover or come down. If we can wait long enough, the feeling passes and neutrality is restored, but there's a natural tendency to counteract it by going back to the source of pleasure for another dose. If we keep up this pattern for hours every day over weeks or months, the brain's set point for pleasure changes. Now we need to keep doing whatever it was that brought the pleasure, but not to feel pleasure, just to feel normal. As soon as we stop, we experience the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, like anxiety, irritability, insomnia, dysphoria, and mental preoccupation with using, otherwise known as craving. She describes a cycle of chasing pleasure, finding it, losing it, chasing it again, losing it again, and going round and round until eventually it's not even about pleasure anymore, it's simply about functioning. And she says this thing happened with her patient, this thing that happened with her patient in, in the digital addiction and the dopamine drowning is happening all over the world in wealthy developed countries, but especially in America because people physically, neurologically cannot handle all the pleasure that we have access to. Now, there's a lot there. I don't bring that up to talk about psychiatry. Today, we're not talking about anxiety and depression. We do talk about those things but they are uh, complex and complicated, and so when we talk about them, we need care and space to honor the complexity. Not even talking today about the danger of, of all that the digital is doing to us, although that's really important. My, my mind just goes somewhere else altogether reading that. It's not stated, but something subtle shouts off the page that contradicts so much of what we've been told, so much of what we maybe even believe, so much of, of the messages that are surrounded, uh, that we're surrounded by. Here's what I heard. We were not made to pursue pleasure as an end in itself. We were not. Did, did you hear that? In, in, like, <laughs> we're not wired. We were not made to make as our life, the aim of our life, feeling good. If we were, there would be no downside to the dopamine. Like, there would be no come down. There would be no anxiety after the fact. It should work. We, if that's what we were made for, we should be able to find this place of perpetual pleasure, but that's not true. In fact, the opposite is true. The more we make as our aim in life pleasure, the further it gets from us. 
It becomes not about pleasure. Eventually, it becomes just about functioning and feeling normal, which leads to craving. It leads to this hunger for pleasure that the more we chase it, the further it gets from us and the more empty we become. And that's not just about screens, my friends. You can do that and be in that kind of cycle with anything. You can try to find find that, that pleasure hit in relationships or in a job or in making an amount of money or in sex or in substance. There are lots of ways to binge, lots of ways to medicate, lots of ways to chase the do- taste the dopamine and end up with a deeper craving than when you started. How are we to make sense of that? Like, I thought pleasure was the point. I, I thought access to these feel-good moments is what life was all about. At some level, isn't that what we mean or at least what, what we have come to mean by the pursuit of happiness, right? Why is it that we are in a moment in history where we are a people with so much access to pleasure and entertainment and distraction and fun, and at the same time, a people who experience so little peace, so little lasting satisfaction? Jesus answers that question. In Matthew 5, 6, he says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. If you remember when we considered this passage, it was almost a year ago, the way we we understand some of these words is crucial to knowing what Jesus is saying. The word blessed is best understood by our English word flourishing. The Beatitudes talk about the life that will flourish, that will live well in light of the coming kingdom. This uh, this word is, is the tree, literally. If you want an image for it, it's the tree of Jeremiah 17. It's flourishing. The word blessed is used in, in both passages, actually. Flourishing are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The word righteousness is not simply about doing right things. It's not just about morals, right? The word righteousness is about living in God's world as if he's present living in God's world in the reality of His presence, according to His will, according to the reality of Him. So flourishing are those who hunger and thirst after God, after His presence in ways, uh, His ways, His future, His love, that, that, that the hunger and thirst for God will be satisfied. Okay, you were made, according to Jesus, to desire, to crave, to long for, to be satisfied in God in his presence. You were made to be with God. You were made to enjoy him and pursue him. We talked last week about the Bible as the true story of who God is and and who we are. You can trace that entire story just by following the theme of God's presence, how it starts with his presence, how his presence is lost, how his presence is restored at times in the Old Testament, and then Jesus comes and is, is Emmanuel, God with us, right? He created in the very beginning heaven and earth, and heaven and earth were united as one space, And God decided to make this world his home. He named the garden Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And the delight of the garden, the Eden of Eden, was God, was his presence. The reward for humans in the garden was that they got to be with God. They got to commune with God. And they got to enjoy creation, food and sex and work and play and creativity. They got to enjoy all that God wired into his world, but not to treat those things as God, but enjoy them and then let enjoyment of them expand their worship of and gratitude for God who gave the gifts, right? The temptation of sin in the garden, where the other way of living makes its way into our life and into our world, is the temptation of the garden was to find Eden outside of Eden, to find delight without God. 
One way to understand the lie of the garden is to hear it as a distorted version of Matthew 5, 6, where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for God. They'll find satisfaction. The lie in the garden is flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for satisfaction, as if it was God. The good life is to pursue pleasure, to chase satisfaction as an end in itself, which means we treat it as if it is God as if it is Eden, as if it is the delight. And that's the ground out of which all idolatry grows, where we try and make creation or we try to make satisfaction the end, the goal, the desire that only a creator can satisfy. So the fact that doctors say and studies show that we can't neurologically handle the cyclical pursuit of pleasure is just more evidence what God already says, we were made for more. We were made for more. My oldest, Asher, when he was about five, I've shared this before, I think, uh, we went to the beach and, and one morning he dug a hole in the sand and he got a bucket. He spent 30 minutes digging this deep hole and he got a bucket, an empty bucket, and he began searching in the water. And I asked him what he was doing and he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch a fish and I'm gonna put him in the hole that I dug in the sand. And I thought, there's no way he's going to catch a fish. Uh, that's not really who the rollers are. You know, we're not like, we don't have those skills. We're not fish catching people. Um, one roller got lucky because within minutes he had a fish in his bucket, pretty good sized fish in his bucket. And he comes over and he pours the water and the fish into the hole that he dug in the sand. And, and you know what happened? Almost immediately the water dries up and it's just a fish. And so Asher runs back to the ocean, and he fills up the, the bucket with water, and he pours it in the hole, and the fish swims around for a little bit, and then the water dries up. So he keeps doing this, gets two buckets, trip after trip, more water. Same thing happens every time. The fish swims around for a minute, and then the water dries up, and Asher's getting really tired, and I'm wondering, man, I wonder how long Asher can do this. And then I'm wondering, how long can the fish do this, right? <laughs> I don't, a, a dead fish will dampen the vacation. Um, and so finally he looked at me, and he's always been like this. He's always been thoughtful and, and tender. And in his thoughtful, tender way, he said, Dad, I don't think the fish is supposed to be on the sand. I think the fish is supposed to be in the ocean. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of turn Jesus is after in his words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for the very presence for life drawn from God, and they will find their satisfaction there, made to hunger and thirst for Him. Your desires, my desires, are not for what is shallow. Our desires are for what is deep. And yet so much of life and so many of us are caught trying to find deep, divine satisfaction in shallow places that dry up. It's important to name what this actually looks like, friends. What I observe in my life and in the lives of those in this part of the world, that's a moving target for us. We kind of um, flop around to a few different shallow places, if you will. We've talked about this before as, as the three corners of this restless cycle that we can get caught on. One of them is in people, and we try to, the, the shallow place of trying to find satisfaction in others, and we try to find it in their approval of us. We want them to love us and maybe even worship us, or we want to find a relationship to love and worship. And, and look, we need one another. We need love from one another, but no one can be God to you except God. No one can be God to me except God. 
Not your spouse, not your friend group, not your kids, not some future relationship, not your parents. Only God can be God. If my happiness, if my satisfaction in life is in other people, that ground dries up really quickly, and you know that, and we know that. Another place we go is living for having all of our hope tied up in the next season of life, right? When life calms down or when the money increases or when I get married or when the marriage is fixed or when I'm out of this marriage or when the job changes or when the promotion comes and when we can get into the next house, when I have friends or when I have better friends or when COVID finally ends or when I have kids or when my kids leave, that life, the contentment we believe that I am after is always on the other side of whatever season I'm in. It's always future. It's always just around the corner. It's always next, right? And what happens is it never comes. Or if it does come, it's, it's really short-lived. There is, uh, life changes, but the change often doesn't bring the life that we hoped. There is an experience in life more defeating than your dreams coming true. It's when your dreams do come true and it's still not enough. You should not be scared of failure as much as you should be scared of success that isn't what you thought it would be and doesn't bring what you thought it would bring. That story's all over the room. I got what I wanted and still wanted. That ground dries up. That belief that, that I am just one next thing away from this sense of deep satisfaction is a lie. And so in the dryness of people not being, it kind of brings us back to where we started. The reason I think we get caught in so much of the cyclical dopamine chasing is because the dryness of people not being what we need and our circumstances not being what we want, as we bounce around between those two, we, we just medicate, just try and, and cope with that restlessness, right? And that's the shallowest of all shallow grounds. The water that dries up the fastest is when we simply try and cope with life. And that can take a lot of forms. Some of them are more socially acceptable than others. Some of them have immediate consequences that immediately harm. Then there are others that no one sees that just slowly chip away at your soul so that you end up medicating not to feel happy, but just to feel normal. That life withers. That life withers. It makes us a people of distraction, makes us a people of absence, not a people of presence, makes us people who ignore God and use others, makes us people who cannot handle drought, who cannot handle heat, whose leaves are barely hanging on, no fruit from our life from which we can bless others. And hear me, friend, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. There is another way to live. You were not, I know you've heard it, hear it again. You were not made for shallow ground. You were made for the deep waters of life lived with God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they, and only they, will be satisfied. And the good news of the gospel is that God wants to be with you. Good news of the gospel is that he invites you to live life with him, satisfied in him. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus, the very presence of God, again, walking creation. He creates a new community. He creates a new humanity who is marked by him marked by his presence. Jesus dies. He comes back to life. He defeats death. He ascends. He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell his people. And now God is with us. There's a bit of, of Eden reconstituted among us, his people. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's why Jesus says he invites in John 15 to, uh, for us to abide with him, to remain with him, 
to grow and to live and to get life out of him. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that Jesus is the cornerstone of a new temple that you're a part of, Christian. I'm a part of. We're a part of the very place where God dwells. And what that means is new creation, the beginnings of heaven and earth reunited. That's happening among the people of God. The dwelling place of God is beginning again with his people. God is with you. He is with us. He's with me. God, through Jesus, is bringing humanity back into the presence that we were made for. Do you know why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he has a has a vision for your life, an invitation for your life that is, that is better than just withering on the sand that actually includes flourishing and growth and rootedness and an ability to withstand changing circumstances. That's his love for you. Last week, I met with a, a pastor friend of mine. He's, he's older than me. He's been in ministry much, much longer than I have. And so when we meet, I usually just, I come with questions and I, I just pick his brain. Um, he has adult children who all love the Lord, and, and, and so I ask questions. A lot of the questions I ask are about pastoring and, and parenting, and uh, we talked about how, uh, you know, parenting pastor's kids is just a unique thing. Pastor's kids have a unique experience. I, I am a pastor's kid, and it was interesting. There were things about it that were complicated and things about it that were, had a lot of deep joy in it, um, and I was telling about our kids, even my, our kids, by God's grace, my children love Citizens Church. They love being here. Last week, my daughter wanted to sit in service instead of going into Kid City. Um, and I thought it was because she likes listening to her dad, likes listening to me preach. And so I asked her after church, I said, hey, why did you want to sit in church with mom? And she said, dad, I love the songs. <laughs> I was like, okay, you too, great. Um, <laughs> and then she told me, she's like, dad, um, you yell a lot. And I was like, I don't, I, that was the, no, I don't yell a lot. And she's like, yeah, you just stand up there and you're like, listen to God. And like, <laughs> like I, I'm pretty sure I didn't say that and I don't, I don't yell. This, <laughs> this morning she's back in Kid City, by the way. Uh, they love it here, which is sweet. Uh, and, and I feel the weight of, of raising them, not as a pastor. I just feel the weight of raising them as a parent. So I'm sitting at lunch with my friend, and I just said, hey, what, what were some of the things that were just important for you to, as you thought about raising your girls? What was important to you? What was helpful for you? I'm kind of looking more for, like, best practices. And his answer was different. He said, you know, I tried to keep it simple. No matter what we were doing, I wanted my girls, the thing I thought of is I wanted my girls to know that I enjoyed being with them wherever we were. I enjoyed having them around. When we were together, I enjoyed that we were together. And what he's saying is, is I never wanted there to be a question in their mind about whether dad wanted to be around them. And, and if they got that, if they knew that I delighted in being with them and having them around, if they got that, it would answer so many other questions. It would fight so many other doubts. It would, it would, it would, it would drive away so many other fears. Friend, if you could fight to believe something that is hard to believe, God wants to be with you. He enjoys being with you. You were made for his presence. You were made to live life with him. And the God that you were made to be with made a way to be with you in Jesus because he loves you. And so he's present with you and with him. You have what the dry ground can never offer with God. He knows everything about you, and in Jesus, he loves you. 
He knows he has a future for you that in Jesus is eternal and glorious and you can never lose. He made you. He knows your fears. He knows your strengths. He enjoys you. Would you get this? He knows how prone you are to try to find life in shallow places outside of him. And even when you run from him, he scans the road waiting for you to come home and invites you over and over again to send your roots where life can actually be found. And out of that love, if we can root life in relationship with him, it leads to flourishing and satisfaction and enduring the heat and bearing fruit to bless others. Two ways to live. Only two ways to live. You can chase life in dry places or you can send the roots of your life towards the waters of life with God. Nothing about that is easy. Um, Don't hear what I'm not saying. You are not one quiet time away from divinely given unfettered euphoria. You are not one home group meeting away from all your angst or disappointment going away. We live in the already not yet. If you go back to last week, we live in the turn of the seasons, and while God is with us, he is with us in part. He's not with us in full. There's still a lot of of, of longing. There's still a lot of senses of emptiness. Roots grow slowly. Roots grow slowly. Sometimes God seems far, and there are seasons of drought, pursuing God, pursuing others, being a person of presence, is a bit of a fight. I am not saying that living the life that sends roots deep towards God, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying it's not empty, and everything else is. Everything else is the shallow ground that dries up. I have a question for you. Which life are you living? Which one? Are you sending roots towards life with God, or are you searching in dry places? Most of our answers are this. My answer is this. I want to. (laughs) My answer is, you know, most days I want to send the roots. I return to the dry places so often, but my heart wants deep, abiding relationship with God. I want to be a person of presence, but I need help. I need help. And that's what this church is for. That's who this church is for so that we can gather together, we can commit together and send roots together, which means we commit to the things that guide the growth in life. It's not automatic. It means the slow work under the soil of learning to find life with God, learning to make time with God, learning to grow deep in community, the community of the people whose lives are oriented around God. For so many, if you've missed everything, hear this, friend. For so many, the reason the flourishing life is rare is because we want the destination, but we don't want to walk the path. It's slow. It's not immediate. It's unseen. Nothing flashy, friend, about you in the morning, Bible open, honest prayers before God. That doesn't come with a flood of dopamine. So we often bail on the path, not because it doesn't work, but because we expect of it, that if it's working, it will be easy, and it's not. So we have to build resilience. At Citizens Church, we want to fight for that together. We want to be a people of presence, active pursuit. So what you will hear around here is that you need daily time with God. You can call it quiet time. You can call it spiritual disciplines. You can call it rule of life. But you need to, we want to 
grow together. The reason we are learning to pray through the Psalms throughout some of our series that we've done is because we want to be equipped. We want to not just long for the destination. We want to put in the work to walk the path so that the roots would go deep towards the waters of life with God. What you will hear around here is that this space right here matters. What I'm daring to believe, would you look right at me? What I'm daring to believe about this time is that as we sing to God, as we hear from God's word, and I don't know how you feel about this morning. I don't know how you felt about the last 34 minutes. I don't know what it was like coming in here today. I don't know what kind of season of life that you're in, but what I'm at least daring to believe is that being here together, orienting our lives around the truth of God together, that there can be a kind of under the soil growth in your life happening that we don't even realize, that there can be a kind of depth being cultivated. If you have ears to hear, if you're open, if you're honest about where you're at, honest about your need for God, that there can be a kind of righteous work happening in your life that maybe you don't leave here and you're floating on some sort of spiritual cloud, but maybe over a lifetime what has happened is inch by inch over a lifetime gathering together is slow work towards life with God, and there's fruit that comes out of your life from that. Look, our, our services are longer compared to most because we're not in a hurry. We're not in a hurry. There are more efficient ways to do this, but we're not after efficiency. We're after intimacy with God, and roots grow, grow slow, and so we want to make space. We make space after, even when we're done. Hey, stay and sing. Hey, pray. Hey, do work. It, again, there might not be that. There, there are things you could leave and go and do to get a quick hit of happiness. It's fleeting. And then there's a kind of work that you can do to sit, a slow work to sit and long for God to make your life deeper. It's why what you will hear around here is your need to be in Christian community because we grow together towards one another and towards God. Everyone wants community until we have to pay the cost to be in community. The cost is worth it. Pay it fight for it. We want to be a people of presence who resist trying to find life in the dry places, who commit together to having the deep roots underneath the soil of our life growing towards living out of the presence of God so that our lives can flourish together. Joy and satisfaction for us. Glory for God. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We need you. I don't, you know this, I feel this every Sunday, God. Uh, preaching sermons, holding out truths that are very incongruent with my life. Especially this morning, the message feels very far away from the messenger. I need your help. I need your help. Maybe for others this morning, the message feels really far away from the hearer. We need your help. Would you, God, give us the stamina for the slow work of being in your presence? What an what a honor it would be to know, God, that out of this time this morning, one of my brothers and sisters leaves with a renewed commitment to spending the first moments of day with you in prayer, fighting to be a person of presence, mindful of your presence, God. What an honor it would be to, to know that a brother or sister left with a renewed commitment to their community, God.
It's not easy. It's worth it. What an honor it would be, God, to just collectively as a church have a renewed commitment to what we're doing even in these moments. That we get to worship you, God. In just a few moments, we get to take communion. Remember your broken body. Remember your shed blood. And remember that you're not far from us. You're, you're with us. You're present. Jesus, you, I don't understand it all. I really don't, but you're here. You've promised to be among us. What a gift. What a gift. I don't want to live a shallow life, God. I don't want to be carried around by the whims and cheap pleasure, fleeting coping, God. I want to be the tree. I want to be by the stream. I want to send the roots of my life deep into the love that you've promised us. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this church. Make us a people of presence, God, present with you, present with others. We love you. Amen.